Thank you guys for listening. Um, talking mushrooms. Mushies. Talking about mushrooms on the next episode. Not psychedelic mushrooms. Wah, wah. Sorry. Sorry, you bunch of druggies. Regular old mycology. Got an awesome mycologist, Lindsay Ryan. We're friends now. She's awesome. It's, uh, we... We uh, hung out, uh, I went through with the head talks, I was trying to get her on there to talk about the psilocybin mushrooms in Wichita, and that's not her forte, so, but we met up anyway, and, um, and it's, it's cool to get to make all these connections and make all these new friends in academia. You know, I've now had like 300 academics on the here we are podcast and another like 200 on stand-up science have all these connections i'm gonna start really um using them to uh to really connect a lot deeper with academia now that i have some time off the road and uh and i'm i'm gonna start uh seeing what i can get involved in uh in higher education seeing what i higher education can do to help me with my science communication and um i'm probably gonna start trying to do some guest lectures and classes and and some uh some cool ideas like that during quarantine and expand what i do and just have more life experiences and um so yeah so if you want to if you want to see all the stuff that i'm doing trying to trying to start doing uh on on patreon um show just like i just started making some videos of me hashing out some ideas not just for my business but just like philosophical things that i think about and science ideas that i like and stuff like that and just like blabbing into a phone while i'm hiking um as like a rough draft for things and then the hope is like maybe getting like collaborating with my patreon fans getting notes on like what aspects they liked and stuff and then kind of reshooting things before putting them out on like youtube patreon making like making higher production value things from those initial like rough drafts and and um that's a lot of my process anyway that normally people don't get to see i'm gonna start doing that on patreon since i'm kind of on a hold on doing on doing the live stream shows um because of everything um going on and and kind of wanted to um uh um you know just hold space for that and not not be like running social media ads and stuff for my own crap at the moment um i think it's just not it's it's just uh i was i i was really looking forward to doing these live shows and i still am but um but uh with everything going on the moment is right for a little bit of a pause so um so that's kind of uh, what's going on with me. Those are some of the gems. For those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite. Sorry I haven't been talking to you guys as much lately. This quarantine has been crazy. Turn my life upside down. 
several times already so uh i I enjoy um i'm happy that you're taking the journey along with me i hope it's uh i hope it's helped you and um brought you some entertainment and some information and some things to think about and helped with mental health and everything else i'll keep sharing my own personal story i'll keep getting more great info and guests for you guys and i'll talk with you not just next week we're, we're releasing an episode almost every other day these days so that's what we're uh, trying to get back on track for Whew, that's a lot of work to do so uh see you next episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are hello everybody and welcome to the here we are podcast today my guest is aaron buchanan aaron can you introduce yourselves to the good people watching Excellent. Yeah. So I'm Erin. I'm a professor of cognitive analytics at Harrisburg University of Science and Technology. And my background is in computational linguistics. So I like words and statistics and numbers. Um, all right. Two things that I'm terrible at. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how this goes. This is, uh, so what, what's kind of the majority of your work? Yeah, so on the words front, I'm really interested in how people understand what words mean and how they're related to each other. So building a map of our understanding of words and essentially taking our mental dictionary and making a picture of it, seeing if that is the same across all languages or not, probably not. Uh, I'm also interested in methods and measurement. So how do we know we're actually measuring words correctly? And that leads into the statistics half where I help people with their methods of measurement and teach people better stats. I run a stats YouTube channel called Statistics of Doom to help people learn how to do stuff, uh, mostly numbers, especially when they're terrified of numbers. Why, why is it called Statistics of Doom? <laughs> That's a longstanding joke. So my first graduate student and I really both loved Invader Zem, which was a TV show on Nickelodeon for a while, and they had a Doom song. You can find it on YouTube. And we just spent a lot of time trying to make Doom work. So that's actually the name of my research lab is the Doom Lab. It stands for Deciphering Outrageous Observations and Modeling. So <laughs> Awesome. So why don't you give us a little bit of uh, some 101 on computational linguistics? Because I, I'm not sure we've explored uh, the subject. We've done some ling linguistic stuff on here before, but, um, but this might be a little bit new for folks and for me. Excellent. So computational linguistics is a field that merges a lot of other areas. Sometimes people call this natural language processing. It's more of a global term for the, for the field. But it's the, the view of understanding uh, language and words through computer science. And so I'm a techie masquerading as a social scientist um, which is a joke from a friend of mine. I can't claim that sentence. But um, essentially, AI, when people talk about artificial intelligence, you're talking about computational linguistics because you have to understand language to build systems that create language. 
or um, from psychology's perspective, psycholinguistics is the understanding of language and the person, or sociolinguistics, which is the understanding of language and society. So it's kind of a mix of all these different fields, um, focusing on the computation part, building uh, mathematical models, or uh, processing language to get some desired output. Hmm. Uh, what's the history of the field? Um, well, it depends on who you talk to, which field they're in. <laughs> uh, so I, my background is actually in psychology. So I would say a lot of it's based on work from um, Noam Chomsky, who's sort of the father of modern linguistics. But people from computer science would argue that a lot of this is based on ideas from Turing, of artificial intelligence and the Turing test. And so it's kind of, uh, for a long time, people were re researching in their own little areas and given the increases in computational power and computers and the internet, we've all kind of slowly merged together. Um, mm. So a data analytics person could be doing computational linguistics, but call it text analytics or sentiment analysis. So I, I teach a lot of the stuff in my classes where it's like, there are a lot of the same names for just one analysis. So if you're interested in understanding if reviews for a new restaurant are positive, Text analytics, sentiment analysis, same idea. Wait, can you say that last part again? If you're, if you're. Yeah. If you're interested in like, let's say there's a new restaurant and you have their Yelp reviews. You're trying to know without reading all of them, if the um, overall review is positive or not. You mm -hmm. can use uh, a sentiment analysis to do the reading for you. Or you could call that text analytics as well. Or I would call it computational linguistics. So mm -hmm. Um, uh, I like to call it computational linguistics because when you call it psychology, people ask you questions that uh, you don't want to answer about Freud because it has nothing to do with Freud mm -hmm. and it kind of sounds scary. So then they don't ask any more questions. Well, do you know James Pennebaker by chance? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Pennebaker's work is um, pretty influential in this field. And one of, I'm going to brag, one of my former students is about to finish her PhD in that lab. And nice. so I'm super proud and uh, I, I really I, like his stuff. Yeah. I had him on the show in the past and I had him on, uh, on stand up science. Um, very recently. He was actually one of the guys I, I make sure and tell my guests. So I have a show that I typically tour with. That's it's two scientists and two comedians on each show for a show. Mm -hmm. That's half comedy sets and half science talks. And I make sure and tell my guests that like no one expects them to be funny and they don't have to try to be funny or anything like that. And James was like, he was like, this is my shot. I'm going to do stand up <laughs> for the first That's time. And he was actually, it was actually pretty good. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I bring it up because as you were talking about analyzing um, the, um, oh, what was the wording? The sent, um, sentiment. sentiment? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I, I remember he was, he had something with analyzing people's tweets and, mm -hmm. and seeing like what their attitude at the time was or, mm -hmm. or something like that. And, and so, so it's that, that sort of stuff that you're doing. Yeah. So I, I mostly teach this kind of thing to my students, um, so we actually use his software, the Luke, in our class sometimes, and um, that allows us to collect information on, you know, how many pronouns do they use? So one of his big um, 
books is the secret life of pronouns yeah, because they do interest, book. interesting things, right? They're really, it's really interesting. Um, but we can also look at negative emotion positive emotion. Um, they have some other newer ones like tone. That's really interesting. Um, so his work is, yeah, pretty influential in uh, text analytics. In my own work, I always do something similar, but I focus more on the individual words instead of kind of these categories of words. Mm. So, um, so if I want to potentially, you could build something for me so that I can only see my positive YouTube reviews and podcast reviews. Yes. <laughs> That sort of thing. I I I don't want to see any of the. Uh, eh, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes they. Uh, uh, I I actually had my first one star review on my podcast recently, and it was it was someone that didn't listen to the podcast, and they just said, eight hundred reviews and all five stars. These are fake. So that was actually like a positive one star <laughs> review my my past reviews had been so good that they didn't believe it um, that's that's a whole nother field of text analytics too <laughs> is uh flagging fake reviews really uh, yeah so I, I i don't know how to do it personally but uh like things like what amazon tries to do to help um take down reviews that are fake or um youtube's content flagging or facebook does a similar content flagging so that's just a whole bunch of text analysis as well well i i don't want to make you talk outside of your field but uh actually i do i do this to every guest as i say <laughs> like, okay. oh here's the thing you don't know much about well let me ask you more questions about that <laughs> I, <laughs> I i Pop quiz. I, I, I have uh as you were saying that, I was going to make a joke about how no one is ever going to mistake my Twitter as AI because of the n number of typos. I don't proofread because I'm not a coward. And uh, <laughs> so what I, what I like to do is I like to hastily write like an angry little rant. And then I hit send before thinking about it or reviewing it. And then the moment I hit send, then I like to review it beat myself up about it, see the many errors that I made. But but then I, I so I was going to make a joke about that. And then I thought about, well, I guess I just sort of did. But then I thought about it and I was like, actually, I bet that they, I bet that the fake ones out there actually program in errors if they're good to make them sound, seem more, more human. Maybe. Um, I, I, huh. I, they I often have very, um, I can think of like the work for that Mike Kearney at uh, the University of Missouri has done with his Twitter uh, work. He, he's a, his Not familiar. research, his, don't quote me on his research. I follow him because he does a bunch of cool tech stuff. Um, I think he's in the communications department, but he does a bunch of um, Twitter bot detection, or at least he talks about it a lot. And I, I, with that, some of that stuff, I think what you see is the same types of language patterns over and over again across the bots. Hmm. So most people say things in different ways, even though they mean the same thing. It's one of human language's most interesting components is that we're creative and we can say things in lots of different ways. But if you're programming a bot, it tends to say the same things in the same way because it's trained on a specific set. So it kind of repeats those. And that's one 
of the easier ways to notice that it is fake rather than real. Um, I, that is, that's interesting. Well, yeah, I guess I, I brought that up because I had the, I think the first, one of the very first episodes of this show, I'm sure I'm butchering this is like almost six years ago. Now I had Nick Epley on Mm -hmm. in the unit. Oh, you know him? Uh, the no. name is familiar, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and he had, I believe his book is called Mindwise. Oh my gosh, I got his name right. I got his book right. Okay, <laughs> don't screw it up now, Shane. You're doing great. <laughs> um, and he he did this. He had something that I've never forgot about. And, and I, I don't know how strong, I think some of this was a little bit speculative, but boy, was it fun and mind-blowing. And it was about how we tend to assign um, personality to like inanimate objects mm-hmm, once mm-hmm. they start being flawed. Um, so like you don't name your brand new car. You name your, your car that you like mm-hmm. work on yourself and has issues. Like, oh, mm-hmm. Betsy, she can be a little finicky, but she's always been there for, you know, she's got, she gets a little, she gets a little grumpy when you try to start her. And it's, it's almost like flaws in things make them feel more human. And that's when we start anthropomorphizing and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, people have this kind of, um, part of the suspicion so so he took that further and was talking about how part of the suspicion with like artificial intelligence just in terms of of say even um a navigational system is is that they're almost like so perfect that people like don't don't trust it in a way they don't feel like connected to it and so so he he talked i guess there's some research early on they showed evidence that if you built in like benign flaws into into the like map narrate narration systems so like have it like miss uh uh misspeak a street name or whatever Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. intentionally that made people like trust it more because Mm -hmm. it like humanized it and gave it this this personality and so that's why I, i was wondering if like some of the clever bots out there were maybe um we're maybe adding flaws into it but maybe they're just like russian bots or whatever and just don't have great english both yeah there's a story that i like to tell my students about some of the original ai systems that were designed one of them was designed to sort of show that these systems are not very good and so the researcher at mit had their students and their secretary like talking to the system. How's the weather? Well, it's great back and forth. And I think he was surprised at how much people assigned emotion. He's like, it's just a computer program, but people will assign emotion to that, to the responses, even though they know better. Um, And then um, the small mistakes thing is funny. Although I may have lost why. (laughs) Uh, Yep. It's gone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had a thought when you said, you said, oh, there's small mistakes. Yeah. Um, in, in that it humanizes them? That's okay. I, I, uh, usually I'm the one that loses track of the idea. Hooray. Oh, man. I had to fill I, the role. <laughs> I, I got a name right. I remembered a book from six years ago. And I won the 
um, who cannot lose track of their thought first game for the first time ever on the history of the podcast. Man, I'm, I'm feeling, I, I walked into this conversation feeling a lot of imposter syndrome and, <laughs> and, and now, now we're, uh, we're turning things around a little bit. How much do, do people ask you about Alexa? Follow-up question, can I ask you about Alexa? <laughs> I, you know, bot systems are like way above my pay grade. Okay. We talk about them in class a little bit. We have some other classes that do machine learning and how you build these chatbot systems. My class focuses on like, what is a noun? <laughs> how do we know that a verb should come next? Because you have to really understand the structure of the language you're trying to build mm. to know what should come next. So most languages are subject, verb, object oriented. English is like this. So I kicked the ball. Uh, and you, so you know I'm the one doing the action. And writing a simple system that breaks that down is actually more complex than you think because we like to talk in these kind of like streaming rivers, if you will, of clauses and phrases. So writing a system that can understand those to then respond back, like interpret correctly and respond back, is really complex. So I mostly teach students just like, here's how we know what a sentence is, and here's how we can break those sentences down. And the higher level classes talk about how to train um, programs. So reading in all these inputs, doing all that breakdown and putting an input back out. Um, but you can still ask me about Alexa and I'll do my best. <laughs> well, I, I was, uh, no need. I, although I will say this, so I don't have an Alexa. I, I've been, especially in this pandemic, as I've been having to learn all of this new technology and everything, I am, I turned 40 next month, but, but having to learn all of these new, like streaming things and different technologies. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like a bit of a, um, curmudgeon and in, in some things in terms of like social media I don't I don't want any part of it now I'm having to be a part of it and so so anyhow I'm new to a lot of this stuff I was on the phone with a friend of mine recently and she was um, she was like asking Alexa thing and one of the things that she likes to do is um, be verbally abusive to Alexa and and Alexa will just shut down and not answer you. If you start calling Alexa like really horrible names, <laughs> Alexa will just shut down and give you the silent treatment. And I was like, that's amazing. Not only does Alexa like have enough criteria to build uh, to be uh, built in to know that that you're you're being inappropriate but then to have like a response of like uh-uh we don't we don't, <laughs> we don't play that, that game <laughs> is is so uh, uh that and that's and that's uh it's it's a different origin story of of Westworld, but uh, but still uh, a, yeah. a, a fun one, <laughs> nonetheless. So I wanted to uh, so let's get off of AI then. Um, do you do you do stuff with like the evolution of language at all? Um, a little bit. Most of my data is not time coursed, if that makes sense. Like we study a lot of like basic level nouns that don't change. Cat, dog. Um, I do really find the the change in slang 
super fascinating. So we started doing a little bit of research there. Um, but are you meaning like quick evolution? Are you talking like long-term oh, evolution? Oh, oh, I mean, origin of language type stuff. Oh, I, evolution, I, evolution. Well, uh, so just because you mentioned Chomsky and, and it made me think, so I had, I had Steven Pinker in, um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Daniel Everett on my stand-up science show, uh, together, uh, in Boston and it was a really great show, but they have like two very different views yes. <laughs> on, on the language, which I love. Anytime I can get a good science rivalry going, that's, it's, a good that's one. <laughs> really exciting uh, to me. So I was, what, uh, in, in your field, what are the, what are the big, um, uh, what are the, what are the big rivalries? Not, not individual names, but just like, um, in terms of large, large theories kind of competing with one another, um, what are the, what are people getting worked up about when you get, when you go to a oh, um, computational linguistics, <laughs> um, conference? I, I don't, I don't know that math folk get that excited. Really. <laughs> um, no, there's plenty of arguments, but I don't, I don't know that I think that they're like the nature versus nurture kind of level uh -huh. that, that that probably was. <sighs> I'm not sure if I can think of anything. I think a lot of, a lot of arguments come down to like the precise measurement, which is why I mentioned I'm interested in measurement. What's the best way to measure this? And is it reliable? And is it valid? So in psych, they're having a big, you know, I hate to call this a crisis, but a lot of people called it a crisis. Um, some other folks wrote a paper calling it the revolution, which I think is a bit better term. Um, where we're just like, you know, we should probably look at these methods that we've been using for 70 or 80 years. And are they any good? Um, and I would say that that's one thing that the, the field, the computational linguistics people I know have done for a long time. Like, what is the best way to measure this? What's the best way to mathematically represent, you know, what we think all the neurons in your head are doing? And that's, I think, probably where the big fights are, is mm. the, the representation. Um, but also, too, like, how much can we trust some of these older works um, because maybe they don't replicate or maybe they don't, um, they aren't consistent across language. So I think one thing that's been missing from the field for a long time is it's a bit um, weird, if, if you're familiar with that term, um. Western, educated, industrial, I forget the R, <laughs> democratic. It's a, it's a term from a paper about how many science fields are, are U.S. or Europe-centric. Right. And maybe we should de-weird them. And um, I think what, we're, what I've seen is there's a lot of work in English, and English is clearly not even the most spoken language across the globe. And it's getting better. But uh, that diversification, I think, would answer a lot of the questions that we probably have. Like, is this model actually representative of language or is it representative of English freshmen? <laughs> right. Mm. So. Mm. 
Enjoy basketball, soccer, and all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code CHAMPION and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Plus, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, player props, and daily boosted odds specials. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com and enter bonus code CHAMPION and place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Um, so why don't you give me a couple of examples of some some actual uh, studies that you're doing so I have a better oh, sense know. of like exactly what you're doing. Sure. Um, a lot of my data is just present because it's text, so we can scrape it from places, um, grab it from the internet. But one study that we've um, recently finished, and I hope to never do again, is a project looking at uh, what do people think words mean? It's very boring to take this study. So we show you a word on the screen, like zebra. I say, what makes a zebra a zebra? And you write things. It's a horse. It's got stripes. It's black. It's white. Mm. You know, and you, you list out these features. But that kind of data is super rich. So the best part about going to our conference last year was that data was out and people were uh, presenting new results based on it. So it's kind of fun to get to see people take what was 10 years worth of work and do something else with it. Um, but thousands of words in English, fortunately. <laughs> um, and what that allows us to do is to understand better the relationships between words. So if you wanted to, as a researcher, under, uh, think about priming is what it's called, where two words are very similar. So it helps one helps you process the other. Um, you could come up with a better set because you have this type of data. Or if you were interested in um, how people acquire language, so uh, what makes a word easier to learn, you could use this kind of data as well. And so we were able to, to publish that and um, just give people the data. And so here, run with it. Test it on other, with other hypotheses. Um, and I'm also really interested in these sort of mega studies. So it's a big movement in our, in our area, and at least in psychology, is, is publishing very large data sets, which is what allows other people to build their research. So we're about to start a project that um, does a similar task where we're trying to figure out um, priming. So priming is this interesting concept that's actually gotten a lot of, um, of recent interest in the fact that it doesn't work. But let's say I show you uh, two words on a screen. So I show you doctor and then I show you nurse. You should be much faster at nurse because you've seen doctor. If I show you tree and then nurse, you're not as fast. And so that implication... But wait, 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 faster at, faster at what? Faster at reading nurse. Oh, so if I okay. see doctor first, it helps me read nurse faster. If I see tree first, I don't read nurse faster. Ah, oh, right, 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 right. So the, the implication there is that there's this sort of activation effect of related things in memory, which can be super important for reading, 
I mean, political speeches, anytime you're writing. Um, and that's a longstanding effect that we know exists. And so in the last, oh gosh, 10 years or so, there was a giant project that looked at priming over lots and lots of words. And it's very frustrating to learn that it's not reliable <laughs> at all. <laughs> mm. It's very variable. Um, so I, I guess what I would say, and I was part of that project, so I'm, I'm a little biased, it's messy. So what we want to do is follow up and see, is it messy because of the way we did it? Or is it messy because it's messy? And so I really like these methods questions because that allows us to then interpret pre previous scientific results. Um, because I have a better lens at understanding maybe why we got the results, which then can lead to implications in like real human life, right? And not just scientific articles. Hmm. Um, so do you have any, um, as you, as you talk about implications in politics and, and whatnot, this is, uh, this is, uh, every, everyone's the most political they've, they've been since last election right now, if, <laughs> if not even, if not even more so, um, do you have any, um, have you had any kind of ideas for new research opportunities that have come out of out of this pandemic, this quarantine, this this new um, election cycle? Um, it, it, anything yeah. that you've been thinking about? Oh uh, well, yes and no. So yes, once longstanding. So I have a, a couple former students who are interested in the language thing, but language of politics. So um, one of them was looking at lean or bias, perceived bias. So, you know, if you choose to read Fox News versus if you choose to look at NPR, there's the perception of how those lean. But can we actually, when looking at what they're writing, can we tell? Like, is that just because of their perceptions and their audiences? Or are they actually writing different things? Um, and then one of the other students is looking at political speeches, especially in times of war or conflict, and seeing, you know, what are the differences in word use? Can we predict how a senator might vote on something based on what um, words they were saying before? And you kind of can. Um, this is back mm. to secret life of pronouns. So pronouns are a heavy indicator. Oh, wait, based on what they were saying before? Before the vote. Oh, oh, like leading up to, so mm -hmm. you're not taking like the history of, of like every speech someone's ever made or something like that. You're just, you're just taking what they said specifically about that. Um, right. About that topic, topic leading up to the vote. Yeah. And Interesting. so that, that stuff continues, but now we have much more interesting data, right? Mm. Um, not that war data isn't interesting. It's good. And it's historical, but now it's, it's. Um, especially th because our presidents are on Twitter now, there are more opportunities to collect speeches, free, free speeches, as opposed to planned speeches that somebody else wrote, um, for us to process. Uh, and then I'm also, I've joined a, um, I'm in an international group called the Psych Science Accelerator. I'm their techie. And so, uh, we've put together a study kind of looking at social psychology and um, the current pandemic, and it actually is supposed to launch today, 
it's a good timing. Um, and mainly it's, it's seeing about gentle, I would say, I would call them nudges. So are there, there specific wordings or phrases that we can use that would get people to comply with things that we know we should be doing, like washing our hands, staying at home, social distancing, which is a terrible phrase, but, um, yeah. you know, can is we it, nudge people the right direction? I think there's a famous book called Nudge. It's kind of a similar theme. Is it, is it, uh, in your opinion, in the, in the way that, um, in the way that, because as, as we were talking about evolution, you kind of, you did mention slang and mm-hmm. how all of these, uh, as, as someone who's delighted in like looking up past slang or like Western slang or like slang in like older cultures and, and mm-hmm. things is, uh, is, is a lot of fun. But the, these things seem to uh, take a while to change. If, once a culture grabs onto something like social distancing, which I think is like a terribly inaccurate <laughs> um, uh, way of phrasing what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. And some people are saying it should be physical distancing, or maybe there's just a better word altogether. Are we just stuck with this? Is it going to be, <laughs> is it going to be social distancing forever? <laughs> what, what would it take? What would to get it take? Rid of it? To, yeah. To get oh. rid of it. <laughs> it has to peak. It hasn't jumped the shark yet, so to speak. <laughs> um, uh. I yeah, there. Are, it's interesting because that work also depends on age. So there's a lot of of research on like usage of phrases in cohorts, so in different age groups, which I don't really want to like say like millennial versus Gen Z because people don't always affiliate themselves with those terms. Um, so, but like there's clearly age chunks. And so once it's almost as if once it grows out of a chunk, the original age group is like, well, that's not cool anymore. So they move on to something else. And so you see this kind of like ripple effect of how words get used. Um, do, do phrases. Do younger people prone, uh, are, are younger people just prone to, is it like um, more neural flexibility or just trying to be like, or, or, or putting, putting more emphasis, you know, it's more important for a young person to be on like the cutting edge or to be like ahead of whatever the trends are or whatever. Whereas as we age, we don't really uh, care as much of like about whatever the new trend is of the day and maybe people just wait a little longer before adopting the the new trends is it usually young people like um uh, leading the way in terms of in in terms of the the new things taking off um yeah i think it has a lot to do with like social social i don't have the right word um when you are young, right? also too, it's hard to disambiguate these effects from cultural effects of, of access to information, right? So if you're in your 20s, early 20s now, you've pretty much always had the internet and maybe always had a smartphone once you're old enough. But if you're in your 60s, that's certainly not true. So you, you get, in 20 years, we'll have a better answer to this question, I think, but um also you're just busier as you age so it it 
it could be that social effect of needing to define oneself, creating one's identity, and I need to be different than everyone else, and I'm still figuring out who I am, and or I have kids and a life and a job, and I don't have time to sit on the internet and watch Netflix all day. <laughs> I guess we do now, but, you know, um, it could be a lot of those things going on, but you do see it where it's a, the younger younger folks <laughs> um, will start a new slang like, um, uh, I can't think of one that is appropriate to say on a podcast, <laughs> yeah. like WTF, right? Yeah. And then it slowly will, will, will spread, so to speak. Until, your, those... until your grandma's finally saying right. WTF. And, and now that jumps the shark, right? Uh, <laughs> and now we think of something else. That's now, why those now, now we go to commercials F- were so funny. FML. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, trying to well, keep it as PG as I need to. <laughs> there also seems to be like a little bit of um, um, political affiliation drives in there with um, with, with like you know you see uh, once in a while like uh, conservatives will learn a new science word and like really grab onto it of like uh, uh, like oh cuck. Oh, oh! We can call these people cucks now, or we can, or or they're they're virtue signaling, or, or oh, like, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll like find a new word. Be like, mm-hmm. whoa! We learned a science word that we can use against the libs, and then but and then and then um you know then there's in terms of like uh the um you know social justice warrior side of things, there's like trying to stay ahead of the curb and add. You know, you have one side being like, oh, we need to, it can't just be LGBTQ. Now we need to throw an IPA on there as well. And if you don't know the IPA, then you're, uh, then you're behind on things. And then, and then the other side of the fence goes like, oh man, what's all these letters? The whole alphabet <laughs> soup. And, and, and so there's, yep. uh, there's, um, there's these uh, interesting political differences in the, in the way that, that, uh, words and language seem to evolve as well. Yeah, so I have a um, a project that one day we'll see the light of day. Um, but where we were looking at uh, moral foundations, uh, the work by uh, Jesse Graham and um, oh God. I, it just don't look over. to me. It Why just jumped right out of my like head. I know that. <laughs> anyway, so if you search moral foundations, you'll you'll sure. find this. Um, I, I'm going to feel bad in an hour when I remember the other person's name. That's, uh, just, that's how it goes. It, yeah. it won't be an hour. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night. That's yeah. when it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but like, there, uh, I'm not interested in the moral part so much. I'm interested in the words. But right. what, uh, what some of my students were doing, we were doing was looking at like, are we we find that these polit- people who adhere to these political labels tend to also separate themselves on these moral foundations of like purity and sanctity um so the whole debate around abortion versus um authority deferring to authority and so we were trying to see if there were we could see these words pop up and we looked at um the swearing in of of one of the recent Supreme Court. Oh my God, <laughs> Brett, uh, Brett, 
Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. <laughs> I was like, where did Yay! it go? Yeah. Um, and see, I'm not good at words either. That's why I study them. I'm, I'm the worst <laughs> with names usually. So I'm glad that we're on the same, yes. uh, same page um, there. What was the other thing? Oh, and the uh, the shutdown, the government shutdown, to see because those both have very strong moral cues that each side took a side on, so to speak, and you can see these like small, very subtle differences in the way that people use words. So I think you're right on that. That sides pick a phrase that they can associate with themselves mm-hmm. to to distinguish. Like in politics term, it's really important to. You know, make sure you're signaling your values and you're distinguishing yourself from your candidate. Right. And um, that's why we have like pro-life versus pro-choice. Those terms are intentional. Um, um, but you can kind of see just a little bit. And it, it tends to, what a lot of people think, it tends to come back to these kind of internal morals that we try to adhere to. <laughs> and what if, what if say... Um, Leaders on both sides, they're, they're like, we, uh, okay, uh, we're, we've been convinced, um, bo- both uh, Republican and Democratic leaders, they've been convinced that physical distancing is, uh, is uh, for, for now, the best way forward to uh, buy time until... Um, uh, science can catch up on what the next steps are in terms of reopening to essential workers and then making more workers essential, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. okay, we're all on the same page. Now, in terms, of, in terms of messaging, something like the distancing or like you said, washing hands, it, is, is there, um, in terms of understanding your base or understanding personality differences, are, are there ways in which you can change the language so that the messaging of what is ultimately the same message mm-hmm. gets through to, um, to different people? Right. Well, first, in this fantasy world, <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, obviously. I know, I know I'm, I'm, I'm really <laughs> taking some, uh, some liberties. I mean, it would help if everyone was giving the same message. I think that's one of the biggest issues we're seeing right now is that the messages are very disparate. Like, you know, and there's so many messages too, because we're constant news cycle kind of thing. Um, You know, and it's, I think it's hard for people. um, So I'm in the Northeast right now, but my traditionally from, from the South. So it's hard for me to explain to my parents, like, you don't understand. I live like an hour and a half from New York city. It is bad here. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I don't want to go outside Um, where, you know, we're there in rural nowhere and it doesn't seem like any big deal. Um, And so I think that is another issue kind of too, of like, how do we get people who can't see it to agree to take on this project? Um, Which I think, I would have thought it would have been very different from times like during Vietnam, right? So during, during some of these previous wars, we didn't show people, they weren't allowed to take pictures of the caskets coming home. And they, they, you know, you didn't um, have it on the constant 24 hour news cycle. You didn't have Twitter. And then, you know, during the AIDS crisis, trying to, trying to get that cycle to get people to understand what was going on. So we, we have all the news, 
but it's so many different messages in so many different places. So one, we'd have to all be on the same page. I think that would help a lot. Um, but then, yeah, I think you could maybe bias those messages. So some people, and I, I know this, I'm not a social psychologist, but I know this because of the project that we're trying to launch today, um, that there are people who respond better to gain frames. So uh, they, oh, oh, Sorry, I, I missed that. Re gain, gain frames. It's almost like gambling. Um, gain, like I can gain something. Um, where you have so much to gain. Oh, right? I see. Stay home. You're going to keep, you're going to be able to protect yourself and your family. Mm -hmm. that's, so it's a, a positive. It's a reward, right? You'll start a new hobby. Maybe this is a good time for a career change. Right. <laughs> uh, one um, door quarantines, another door opens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people respond better to loss frames or, or negative things. Mm. So there's a lot to lose here. Right, mm -hmm. you could infect yourself and your family, and apparently your cat, cats. I was reading earlier, cats can get this. Um, and so maybe having a mix of those messages, so people mm -hmm. who respond better to one hear that and do better, and then maybe respond better to the other hear that. Um, so there's a lot of uh, cool research on like on how one can nudge these behaviors, but I don't think there's any consistency. Like there's not one message, I don't think, because mm. people, we know people respond to these things differently. Mm. Um, but if we could all get on the same page, that would help. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I mean, just in terms of, if you look at the last two um, presidential um, platforms, it was like hope and change of like, the future has all of these possibilities for uh, progress and, and then making things great again. Like uh, mm -hmm. we, the, the future is, uh, we want to, we want to go back. We want, we value tradition and the way mm -hmm. that things have always um, been. And, and, uh, and those are, I mean, I, I probably, uh, I'm, I'm sure if I had a personal, an actual personality researcher on here, they'd be like, well, actually, mm -hmm. but, um, <laughs> it, you know, ju just people's writing in terms of openness, how, how open they are to different new experiences is going to be, um, is going to factor into how they're going to respond to that kind of languaging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also, too, uh, I think people, I, the, having a slogan really helps. So I have my students in one of our classes analyze that Make America Great Again slogan. So you look at it like pre and post election to see like what are the most related words when we use um, either great or make before and after and it totally switches. So that was a great slogan to get elected. Once it was elected, done. Yeah. Um, now we're about to have data into the next election cycle. So it'll be interesting to see when and if it comes back. Um, so those slogans are very powerful. Hmm. Um, just any marketing person would tell you this. And I feel like if I look at the, the, that election, the last election cycle, um, one side clearly had a good slogan going, even if you agree with it or not. And the other side's, not so much. Like the message is what you were saying, but it, there's no catchphrase mm. for that. So, uh, you know, and I think America is pretty divided on, on 
voting right now. They were very close. If we look at the raw numbers, not the mess that the electoral college is. Um, but if it's catchy, mm. I, I'm going when I run in um, 2032. Um, I'm going to need a little time to prep and kind of turn around some of my things and enough people to forget uh, some of my past <laughs> mistakes. Enough time for but my, I think my slogan is going to be, everyone gets a slogan. No, <laughs> no more just politicians getting these powerful slogans. I'm, I'm giving the power back in the people's hands. Everyone gets a slogan, 2032. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what um do you do you do much in terms of um of marketing or ads or anything like that is that anything that you look at in, in no, your research no but i have the right background if that makes sense i mean some of psychology's best researchers turned into marketers um so there are a, certainly could if people want to pay me for this, um, yeah. suggest word choice. Like you always have to be careful with, with specific words that have multiple meanings. Um, Cause that could, you never sure how they're getting interpreted. So obviously um, most marketing teams have like a group of researchers who help them pilot test. I mean, movies do this too. That's why it's like, well, the original ending was blah, blah, blah. I never saw that ending. Well, it's cause people hated it. <laughs> so they cut it. Right. Um, but testing, uh, word choice. We talk a lot about in my class search engine optimization. So how do you know what keywords to use to get people to your um, page, your company, your ad, your product, whatever? Uh, that one doesn't get you in trouble because there are there are ways that Google will block or bang you if you do certain things. Uh, but two matches the meaning, but isn't necessarily the same words. So uh, the algorithms that, that um, are used when, let's say, you type something into Google and then the pages that come back, like how can we take advantage of how we know the algorithm works and how we know that word meaning works to get the right keywords to get people to your stuff. Um, so we talk about you know, words that are similar synonyms and then being careful of, of what are called polysemes or words that have multiple meanings some of them are not what you want, right? Um, and then how those algorithms work. Hmm. Uh, do, you, do you ever look at um, kind of the etymology or, and, and then kind of how, how words themselves evolve and change over time where all of a sudden, I, I, I know there's like, um, there's not that many words in the English language that have been around like from the beginning and right. haven't, and haven't changed their usage or, or meaning or anything, but even term, even, even things in terms of, uh, in ter like, like take meme, for example, uh, the, the, the origins of the word meme and then what, and then what people see on the internet of like a cat meme. Mm -hmm. are two very different things which is like this uh, like kind of beautifully tragic thing to happen to the word meme itself <laughs> that, that See, it, 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 tweet <laughs> tweet is the the fun one uh, what what's what did like, tweet used to be like birds 
Bert's oh, tweet. I forgot that. <laughs> that's how. Oh yeah, Bird's tweet. I, I didn't even. But but that's you know people. Uh, there's slang where bad can mean a different thing, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. bad can mean good now, and all of the. Uh, uh, do you do you ever look at anything like that? Oh, just for fun, not for just research. For <laughs> uh, so Google's ingrams is the best way to look at this kind of data. Um, there's a really great TED Talk. It's one of my favorite ones about, uh, I think it's called, What Can We Learn from 5 Million Books or something like that, where uh, it's a lot of the guys from Google and I think from MIT talking about um, what they did with the data when they scanned all of the books uh, that you can see on Google Books now. Yeah. And they talk about some really cool work called Culturomics is kind of the label they've given it where you can look at trends in lots of things. Like when did the past tense usage of a word change? So when did we switch from saying burnt to burned or vice versa? And there's a cultural switch there based on, um, on um, location. So American English dropped it like it was hot, so to speak. (laughs) And British English held on to it because we were trying to distance ourselves. And then slowly they've switched as well. I don't remember which direction, but you can see it. So if you Google, I go to Anne Graham's website and look up burnt and burned, you can see the point at which they changed sides. One of them dropped off and the other one got more popular. Yeah, I just had someone yell at me on Twitter. I said something about, I had some tweet about, I think my tweet was, it's ironic that people that are into numerology aren't typically aren't good at math. Um, and then someone was like, it's maths. And I was like, oh, that's very European. You just got very worked up about that. <laughs> Um, anyway, it reminded me of that when you m- yeah, because it's mathematics. Technically, you don't say mathematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, anyhow, back to the work that you do before before we leave the project that you're launching today. Yes. This is I'm capturing history right now. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> why, why why don't you uh, maybe tell people a little bit more about what it is, what you're expecting, and then how people could maybe um follow it or, or learn more about it because this, by the time that this comes out, some time will have elapsed. I'm not sure right. how much. Yeah. So uh, I don't want to tell too much about like the internal workings because if it's only like a week, we're still going to be collecting data and I don't want to screw it up. But mm-hmm. um, the Psych Science Accelerator is a team that I work with that is meant to be the CERN for psychology. So the idea is that if things don't replicate because we don't have enough people, we haven't tested it, why don't we just get more people? And so it's a a collaborative team of hundreds of research labs across the globe, which is so cool because that gives me so much access to other languages I don't normally have access in for my own personal bias. Um, And they've completed several projects. You said you've talked to Lisa, she, um, De Bruyne, she was one of the first projects they picked for, for one of their studies. And what we're doing is, you know, we have the uh, capacity to collect data across the globe, which not many people have that kind of access. So we put out a call and people suggested studies. We picked three of them 
Um, we're currently about to launch the English version of the study. So if you take it, it will be about COVID, um, you know, how you've responded, how you react to certain messages. Um, so can't say what you're going to see because it depends on when you take it, if you take it. But the project itself will eventually hopefully get published and um, will be on the Psych Science website. And if this happens fast enough, you can actually track. We have a tracker to see how what languages that people have taken it in and um, how many people we have to show that we're truly trying to capture people and not just the weird countries to go back to our conversation mm -hmm. earlier. Um, so for example, I know we have, we've gotten some money for this. So we're going to be able to capture some data in Africa, which is a traditionally very hard country to get data from if you're not there. Um, it's, it's really just a study to look at kind of the relationship between, you know, what you are currently doing and feeling and maybe how we could help nudge those behaviors to the, what we believe are the correct ones, you know, staying home, washing your hands, that kind of thing. Hmm. Without giving too much away. <laughs> so I don't run the study. And get yeah, right, right. Um, but I've been helping on the technical implication implementation of, um, you know, setting up the details to collect so much data. Most of us work with very small data sets of 100 people or several hundred people. And this is potentially in the large thousands. So like, just the technical impl implementation of that's pretty difficult. Um, and I think hopefully it will go well today, <laughs> uh, the launch. And people could take the study too, um, if you feel like filling it out. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, thank you, Erin, for joining me. Of course. Yeah, it was fun. We kind of like wandered lots of random I'm places. I'm a wanderer. <laughs> Especially, I'm not a social psychologist, but I, here are I the know, things I know. I know. <laughs> well, uh, uh, well, you can tell that I'm, I'm not the best bullshitter in the world because when I, when I don't know a subject very well, I'm grasping at straws for anything, <laughs> any, anything that I've heard about ever before that's anywhere near related in the ballpark so so i appreciate you uh, uh in indulging me and um and helping fill me in and uh and a subject that i am uh, uh that i'm definitely very excellent yeah it was fun yeah thanks a lot and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you next episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are